0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers, the show where we dig a little bit deeper to understand what really matters most in business. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a Senior Director of evaluation Services at Pine Hill Group. Today I'm really excited to welcome my guest, Jay Weinstein, who's the Managing Partner of Markets and Industries for Eisner Amper. Jay, welcome to Behind the Numbers.
1: Thank you for having me, Dave.
0: Oh, It's a pleasure. Before we get into it and get Behind the Numbers, uh, why don't you just tell the audience briefly a little bit about who you are and a little bit about the firm.
1: Sure. Um, I'm the uh, Managing Partner of Markets and Industries for Eisner Amper. Eisner Amper is a national accounting firm with offices throughout the U.S. Uh, and also globally. Uh, we are a accounting and advisory firm and uh, we're happy to be here today.
0: That's awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. I know you're going to add a lot of value to our audience. So in your role, uh, I imagine you do a lot of traveling to visit different markets, correct? I do. Okay, so maybe you can just if you would talk a little bit about the kinds of the markets that you're visiting and what are the business leaders that you're dealing with in those markets saying and feeling about the economy and labor market and things like that?
1: So Dave I I have a pretty simple way of uh, gauging what's happening in the economy. How many cranes are up in the cities that I visit? So right now if you go to Miami and you look around you'll see 20 or 25 cranes. That means there's a lot happening there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of building going on when i go to san francisco there's also a lot of cranes but there's also a lot of uh, stress on the labor market Uh, there's uh, intense competition for talent in san francisco today in fact we're starting to see some of the talent move to denver which is also a strong area Mm -hmm. in salt lake city Um, So, it's an interesting dynamic in the cities that that we get an opportunity to see.
0: What is it about Denver and Salt Lake City that are attracting talent?
1: First of all, it's beautiful. Um, So, the quality of life and the opportunity to live in a place like that is is extraordinary. Second, there's strong educational institutions in both of those cities and that helps feed the technology sector, the life sciences sector with uh, people with strong educational backgrounds.
0: Interesting. So when you're not in Miami or San Francisco, I know you do an awful lot of traveling. Where else do you go and what other perspectives have you seen?
1: Yeah, Chicago is always a fun place to go. Uh, Always a lot of business activity. Uh, New York, um, all still in the financial service sector, a lot of pressure for for good people and competitive environment. I haven't seen much of a, a decrease. That could perhaps happen this year in the financial service sector. Uh, depending on what happens in the stock market. A lot of our hedge funds, a lot of our private equity funds are contingent a bit on what happens in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, so when we talk about industries as one of the words in your title, uh, you mentioned a few that the firm is focused on. Um, What other industries are you really looking at, concentrating on, and what what are the hot ones right now, Jay?
1: Real estate remains hot. I mean, I was in Dallas recently, and the price per square foot for commercial space is not quite New York, not quite San Francisco, but pretty high. So we're seeing a lot of activity in the real estate space continuing uh, continuing to see it. Uh, also in uh, pharma, with uh, the, the pri- amount of private equity money, and we'll talk a little bit about private equity, yeah. the amount of dry powder that's available is driving up the, uh, the price for younger pharma companies. Uh, technology companies also.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Let's talk a little bit about private equity. Let's talk about pharma and other industries. Where do you see private equity in making their investments?
1: Um, So we're continuing to see extraordinary multiples on exits. And the majority of the companies and clients that we work with who are exiting are going to private equity. They're selling to private equity funds. I mean, in the past couple months we've seen a 12.5 EBITDA multiple, saw a 15 EBITDA multiple.
0: And what industries are those?
1: Uh, distribution, okay. Um, one technology, so a little bit, you know, pretty diverse uh, where private equity is uh, investing their money. Still a lot of dry powder out there. Uh, so. Unsure how long that those multiples are going to last, but still a lot. Now that has a lot to do with the le- ability to leverage. Right. And as the interest rates go up, the ability to leverage will de- diminish a bit. But we're still seeing some really extraordinary exits.
0: That's interesting. And what other industries are, are, in your view, hot now? And maybe even more importantly, as you look into your crystal ball for the rest of 2019, 2020,
1: healthcare yeah healthcare <clears throat> we're seeing a lot of investment in healthcare technology investment. Um, <clears throat> we happen to work with an interesting company where they uh, we we have a white label software where we look at the uh, demographics of a particular patient base to help decide help a hospital to decide how much uh, effort they should put towards each patient in terms of collecting uh, receivables that are due from them. Just an example of the type of technology that's now sort of uh, embedded in the healthcare space. Private equity is making a lot of investments in the healthcare space. That's a more recent sort of phenomenon, but we're seeing a lot where we're doing due diligence or whatever it might be for these transactions that are taking place.
0: That's interesting stuff. So in, in your day-to-day, in the firm's day-to-day, are you serving more private companies, public companies, mix of both?
1: We have a mix of both. Yeah. I mean, our, our um, public company uh, base is smaller public companies. But uh, we, have, we have a strong mix of both, the uh, public and private companies.
0: Gotcha. So in, in terms of your your role, if you will, in those exits, I, I imagine that you're observing you know, clients that are experiencing these things. Does the firm play a role in, in helping those clients to achieve those exits?
1: Um, as you're familiar with sell-side due diligence, so we are seeing more and more of sell-side due diligence where a company is in the midst of negotiating an exit, negotiating a particular purchase price. And they'll have us come in and do some sell-side due diligence, which means helping them ga- gather their documentation, quite frankly some stress tests around due diligence before the buyer comes in and does their own due diligence. The, the intent is to keep the purchase price at the place it starts rather than diminish due to uh, something that they may not have foreseen.
0: Yeah and that's a good point and I want to expound on that in just a second but before we do uh, for the folks who are watching if they would like to contact you Jay what's the best way for them to get a
1: hold of you? Um, we have a website, uh, no surprise there, um, eisneramper.com and uh, my email address is jy.weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-I-N, at eisneramper.com.
0: Great, thanks. So getting back to the topic about um, maintaining that valuation, maintaining that multiple, uh, my experience in working with privately held businesses as they're going through the transaction process and some of my guests have shared a similar story where they don't know what they don't know, they manage their business to avoid paying taxes, now they're getting ready to do a transaction and now all of a sudden they're explaining away past performance because they don't have good financial data to give to a buyer. That's exactly what right. What advice can you offer the, the privately held business owners and executives who are watching right now on just the importance of that point and others?
1: Dave, what I, the, the, to me the best suggestion would be prepare early. So if you're thinking about exiting, prepare two to three years ahead. It may mean getting an audit, audited financial statements a couple year ahead, but it might also mean improving your documentation, making things are tight, sure things are tight your leases, everything is locked up tight so that you're not preparing six months before when there'll be many other things going on. It'll improve your valuation. Oh,
0: no question. I I preach that all the time to privately held businesses. the exit is a process, it, it's not an event, and you've got to prepare for it, and certainly the more prep you do in advance, the better you'll be.
1: I would even go as far as to say is develop a relationship with an investment banker. Yeah. They will take that meeting, They will take that. they will want that relationship two years ahead so that they can help you, with hopefully they will want to get the business when you actually do the transaction, but there's no commitment generally on that. They'll take that meeting every single time.
0: Yep, that's a fair point. I make that comment also because they'll do the valuation for them for basically for nothing at that point. Uh, I can add a lot of value in the valuation world when companies are planning and helping them get ready for it. But the way I describe it, if they're in that oh no moment where we have to sell and they're in that six month window, to your point, they're better off really just finding the intermediary. And I'm a big believer in the power of the auction process and helping to manage the valuation expectation. Do you want to just share your opinion on uh, that?
1: Yes, uh, I would agree with you 100%, Dave, because what we see is it's always better to have that second person, whether it's a stalking horse or whatever it might be, to help uh, get the valuation to where it should be. Um, not, not artificially high, not artificially low. Instead, right where it should be. So if you're really working with one potential buyer, it does make the conversation more difficult and you may not get exactly what you really deserve.
0: Yep, are there any pitfalls that you see privately held companies, or publics for that matter, a recurring theme of a constant mistake that you keep running into?
1: Yeah, um, quite frankly, we talked a little bit about sell-side due diligence. I think what we find is that there's too many surprises along the way after they negotiate a purchase price. Uh, Whatever it might be, you mentioned, you know, expenses that they may not have foreseen. There could be any number of things. I think a lack of preparedness would be the pitfall that that we see more often than not.
0: And in your experience, who quarterbacks that process?
1: Um, In many cases, we help quarterback it. The investment banker plays an extraordinarily important role. The lawyer, quite frankly, plays an important role. If you're going to you know, investigate a transaction or pursue a transaction, you want an attorney who not only is uh, obviously good, but also one who's done transactions that are similar to the one that, that, that's being considered. Yeah. Uh, you don't want this to be their first or second because there's a, there's a lot of you know, vagaries to a, to a transaction.
0: Yeah, no question. One of the things we talk about a lot in the transaction space is uh, the contingent consideration or the earnout. out Yeah. Um, imagine you're seeing a fair amount of that in the deals that you're exposed to. Yeah.
1: I mean, my philosophy is get as much cash as you can up front because then there's no, there's no contingencies. But in, in most of our deals, uh, there is some contingent consideration. And actually, we're seeing more where there's some stock uh, in part of the consideration. So I wouldn't call it contingent. But I would say that there's stock where our sellers are invested in the new company. The buyers, you know, when they're writing a big check, they want to make sure that the people who they're writing the check to also have some skin in the game going forward. Yeah. Quite frankly, um, the people, our sellers want to have some skin in the game. They want to be part of the success. They want to see the you know, additional you know, quote bite of the apple.
0: Right, and I would agree we see a lot of that in our work as well with the rollover equity. On that note, we have to take a very quick commercial break. Time flies here on Behind the Numbers. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with my guest, Jay Weinstein.
1: Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human, We would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. The ones dealt a bad hand who responded with courage. Do not pity a shelter dog. Adopt one.
2: Say we've got grit, and we'll take it as a compliment. Because it's our uncommon drive our spark within, that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made. And when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. I work 13 hours a day, six days a week. So when I'm off the clock, I gotta get stuff done. So when I need a snack, I need something healthy, tasty, and easy to eat, like wonderful pistachios without the shells. They're protein-powered, delicious, and great on the go. And that's perfect for me.
1: Thanks, Liz.
2: A woman without a lot of time.
0: Whether you're a gourmet cook or just want to eat like one, visit Rostelli Market Fresh, your home for the freshest locally sourced ingredients to please everyone who loves great food. Our organic meats, quality seafood, and free-range poultry are cut fresh to order. Chefs create culinary-inspired prep foods
2: made fresh every day, which pair nicely with our vast selection of fine wines and spirits. Choose from handmade pastas, artisan cheeses, organic produce, and grocery items, all from the finest
0: purveyors. Rostelli Market Fresh, from our family to yours.
2: RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours, have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, I'm with Pine Hill Group. My guest today is Jay Weinstein, managing partner at Eisner Amper. Uh, Jay, let, let's shift gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about the kinds of things that Eisner Amper offers to their clients because I know that you're doing some really neat, interesting, uh, cutting edge kind of things. Uh, one in particular is the use of artificial intelligence. Yeah. So talk a little bit, if you would, about how Eisner Amper is helping clients with AI.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, what we've done is we've made a, a big investment in Watson. Uh, we're, uh, the way we approached it is to pick a sliver of what we did. Rather than try to boil the ocean, we picked a couple things that we thought we could do really well and deep, and uh, that actually was the right decision. So once in a while, you know, if things work out the way that you would hope. So what we did is we took two things. We took revenue recognition, which is a very hot area in, in accounting, and also lease accounting and we taught Watson about those rules. And it's a long process, um, because every instance of Watson starts fresh. You don't have the benefit of other people who've done similar things. You teach, and the, the reason for that is you want to teach it the way you want to teach it. You have your best technicians, they teach Watson. It ingests a whole bunch of sample things and sample leases and contracts. And at the end, we can now process a contract and it will abstract all the important points in that contract, and it will also tell us and point out revenue recognition trigger points. The beauty of Watson is it continues to learn. So the more things it ingests, the more things you teach it, the more it learns. It's pretty incredible.
0: So I assume accuracy goes without saying, right?
1: It does. Okay.
0: But I guess what remains to be asked there, so I'll ask it, is how's it impacted the people at the firm because I know there's a lot yeah. of folks who, in general, uh, not not in accounting per se, but in general, fear artificial intelligence yeah. in, in terms of their job security.
1: So I always speak with our first year staff when they you know, when they come in. We have a hundred first year staff start every year. They're. It's great. It's exciting to talk to them. And that question comes up at least the last two years as we start talking about our artificial intelligence uh, project. Um, The answer really is their jobs going to be better. It's not going to go away. It's going to be more interesting. So instead of sitting in a room and reading a 100-page lease, they're going to be reviewing the analysis that Watson prepared for them, and they'll be able to do more and more interesting type work. So I think um, it, there's, there is some apprehension, but once they get involved and they start seeing what, what their job looks like and how, more, how it's more interesting, that goes away.
0: Yeah, and I can tell you there's a lot of folks that I know are watching who review those documents every day. Um, And I imagine that they're going to suddenly lean in and wonder more about this so I wouldn't be surprised if you hear from some of those folks.
1: Well, what we're going to do next is uh, actually the uh, tax return process. So once again, we're not going to boil the ocean. We're going to take pieces of the tax return process, teach Watson about those pieces, and it will then come back to us with questions in a particular return that we should investigate more. So it's a very exciting program.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Another area that uh, is impacting business that you read a lot about is the uh, issue of cybersecurity. Yeah. What's Eisner are doing to help clients around that particular issue?
1: So we have a couple different things, Dave. Uh, we have preventative, we have remediation, and then we have in between, monitoring. So I would say in the monitoring area, it's kind of a, a new space for us. What we can do now is actually monitor the activity on a particular laptop or other device and report back to the particular uh, company owner as to what activity. So for instance, we can tell if that laptop is missing updates to patches to a particular software, which could make it vulnerable to an attack. So that's, um, it also will tell the owner how far a particular attack made it. So did it make it to level five? Did it make it to, to level seven? Did it get close to actually penetrating their system? And that goes on every single device. And uh, the owners have loved it um, because it gives them some comfort that they know what's going on because otherwise, cyber can be a very you know, ambiguous, uh, you know, uncertain type area for them. Risk. Yeah,
0: and I think folks generally may think of it as kind of a, a low-risk threat, but uh, if you are exposed to it, the damage is huge.
1: So I think that's changing. I think you're you're right, but I think it's starting to change. I happen to be head of an audit committee, and I know that when we look at the cyber area, it's one of the biggest risks that we see. Mm-hmm. And like our head of IT for the company that I'm, uh, you know, involved with, um, he says, we, you know, 50% of companies have been and know that they've been penetrated. The other just don't know it yet. So it's, um, it's becoming more and more, uh, and the SEC is all over it, so it's becoming more and more of just an area of, uh, of risk and uncertainty, and people are seeing it.
0: That's good to hear. So standard operating procedure, and I imagine insurance is a component of that, too, that people are thinking about more often.
1: Yeah. I mean, cyber insurance yeah. is um, becoming more and more popular more and more popular. We're seeing insurance, by the way, also in reps and warranties on sale, similar to what we discussed earlier. Interesting. Just uh, insurance, not to get distracted, but insurance is becoming more and more of an area of uh, specialty type coverage.
0: Noted. Good point. Another topic I wanted to make sure that we covered, I know you're doing something really interesting around family-owned businesses. Yeah. And I forget the exact timeline, but you created an organization called the Center for Family Business Excellence. Talk a little bit about that, would sure. you? Sure.
1: So what we found, Dave, is that a number of companies were uh, working through succession issues. It's a really challenging thing. There's family dynamics, there's business dynamics. And to try to address that, we brought in a, a team of psychologists. Those people work with the family businesses in various ways. One, they'll do executive coaching to try to work with a, a, either a parent or children or non-family members, quite frankly, who are part of this discussion plan. Coach them through some of the issues and some of the, the stress that's associated with succession. The other thing they do is actually advise the board. So a board is deciding what, what, what's next, what do we do next in, a, in our strategic plan. We'll help manage through a strategic planning session, through a retreat. Um, it's one of the most value, we found in the past couple years, one of the most value added services that we can really provide because it's important. It's yeah. really something that goes to valuation. It goes to peace of mind. Um, there's just many different tangents that that really hits. And, Really, a non-traditional. Our accountants have always provided advice to their clients and done a really good job. This takes it really to another level.
0: Yeah, it does. And I happen to know a couple of the folks involved in that, and they're great people and they're doing great work. Uh, and in the privately held business space, man, a lot of those folks they just don't know what they don't know. But what's really fascinating, is you mentioned, you hired psychologists. Every guest I've had on this program who works with business owners, privates in particular, um, say the same thing: that you've got to be part-time psychologist and you had the foresight to recognize it because most people think that succession planning, exit planning, that you know, it's about the numbers, it's about an exit, it's about a transaction, but it isn't.
1: So I, I can't take credit for this because one of my partners actually took a course with a psychologist who was talking about this and he came back and said, we have to talk to this person. I said, you're nuts. We're accountants. We're not psychologists. It's 10.30 at night. I'm not going out to the airport to meet this person. He says, you have to go. And sure enough, we went, and within a half an hour, I was wowed. So um, we can't take credit, but uh, we did sort of take that opportunity, now that team's grown to five or six people. And we're talking Sorry about we Lisa won. Stewart, right? We are. Yeah, no, she's, about Lisa Stewart, she's she is fantastic. She is fantastic. Right. So I was glad I was wrong.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's good to be wrong. <laughs> Can, can you speak from I guess from her perspective and and yours as well in the family uh, business center what are the kinds of things that they're seeing kind of day to day that you can alert our audience sure. to
1: so it's interesting she um, she's working with about 25 different companies now 25 maybe it's up to 30 uh, one in particular was a was a is a large family business and they decided that the best route was to you know split the fam- split the business up and sell it Um, good, they all get along with each other, you know, no problems there. It's just, they felt after working with her for about six months, the best strategy is to sell and, uh, they got an extraordinary multiple and now we're working with them to set up family offices. So the next phase of our sort of advice and our advisory piece is to actually work through what happens after you get the proceeds and how do you set up the family office and what is the governance around it, things like that. So that's an example of the types of things that that we might be able to help a company with.
0: Nice. And speaking of that, uh, tell our audience again, if you would, please, how can they contact you,
1: Jay? Jay.Weinstein, W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N, at EisnerAmper.com.
0: Great. Thank you. Let's go up, I guess, another 20,000 feet, so to speak. And if you would, let's talk about professional services in general. Um, Consolidation is a theme that we've seen recently. What's your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I recently looked at the top 20 firms in 1980 uh, with the the firms that were the top 20 firms and of the top 20, very few are left. So we have seen consolidation and I would prognosticate that the, the consolidation is actually going to accelerate. The reason I say that, Dave, is because the amount of investment that's required in technology like artificial intelligence is extraordinary. The pace of change is is much quicker than we've ever seen and it's even going to become more quicker so the amount of capital that's needed to really run a professional service firm is increasing which is going to lend itself towards some consolidation a larger firm combined will have more capital and be able to do more of the things that they need to do to stay competitive
0: Right, and when when we talk professional services, you're talking broad swath. We're not just talking in the financial services industry, for example. Accounting
1: firms, uh, law firms, consulting firms, architectural firms, all the above.
0: Yeah. So are those smaller firms actively looking for suitors at this point, looking for someone to take them out? We
1: meet with, uh, with firms all the time. I mean, a big part of what I do also is actually meeting with potential firms who would like to combine with us. So what we find out in the marketplace when we're speaking with them is that they're concerned. The $20 million accounting firm, the $25 million accounting firm is very concerned with how they're going to stay competitive because of the amount of investment that's needed. Uh, so um, we'll, we'll see a lot more. So the answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, smaller firms and the, even the even smaller than the $20 million is even is also concerned because I think what we'll see is... More for more types of companies doing tax returns, as an example, we're starting to see financial advisory firms do tax returns. You know the the large banks because they'll do it as an accommodation to their wealth advisory clients. So the competition for the the small, even the smaller firms, is going to get uh, higher and higher.
0: Yeah. So when you talk about those services, those ancillary services, a lot of times they're giveaways. How do, you, how do we, as, as professional services firms, avoid the commoditization or the perception of the commoditization that, that prevails yeah. in our space?
1: So we're, we're doing something new uh, over the past six months that we've seen some success with, which is packaging the services that we provide. The, for the types of services that are viewed a little bit more like a commodity, perhaps maybe the audit, perhaps some of the tax. Uh, We now package that with process automation, as an example, where we'll come in and we'll do some advisory work around automating certain manual processes, high, high value type services that we can provide. We'll go into a company that may have somebody spending two days on a year-end reconciliation, an intercompany account or something like that, and we'll be able to automate that with a bot, which we build, and it'll take two hours. So that person who really hated doing that reconciliation now gets the output and spend the time analyzing the output rather than spending two or three days on it. Um, Bots are are here and they're really uh, dynamic.
0: Nice, well, on that note, unfortunately, we have to wrap up, Jay. So I thank Thank you you so much for being my guest. I know you've added a lot of value to our viewers. And thank you for watching Behind the Numbers. Again, today my guest was Jay Weinstein, managing partner at Eisner Amper. Tune in again next time.